Good morning. Did you have a great Thanksgiving? Your pants are a little tighter than they were a couple days ago? I know mine are. That's one of the things I love about this robe. I'm just sucking in. Right? <laughs> I can already tell this is going to be the best Christmas ever. I know I said that last year, and last year was great, but I can already tell this year is going to be even better. And it's because all three of my kids now are old enough to sort of be aware of what's going on, right? And they're all getting in to like the Christmas spirit. Our youngest, Selma, last year, she was only a couple months old, so she had no idea what was going on. But this year, she's really starting to get it. She's, she's loving every bit of it. In fact, a couple days ago, she sort of waddled off, and I went and found her eventually in our front room, just standing in front of the Christmas tree. You're just standing there looking. Look at that. Pretty cute, right? First time she saw the tree, it was just, oh, oh. Well, she does every single time. Now, of course, her older siblings, her brother and sister, they're like seasoned vets, right, when it comes to Christmas. And they're, they're of course, filling her in on everything she needs to know, you know, who Santa is, their favorite Christmas songs. It's just so much fun to watch. I mean, let's be honest, kids this time of the year really are the stars of the show, aren't they? I mean, seeing my kids get into all of it, right, it's making me enjoy this time of the year all over again because it's bringing that anticipation piece back. I mean, the anticipation really is the best part of Christmas. Right, that, that, that expectancy. I mean, remember, remember trying to go to bed on Christmas Eve when you were a kid? It's like torture, but it was great, wasn't it? I mean, we loved it. It was so exciting. It's anticipation. It's expectancy. And kids are so good at this. It makes them bad at waiting, right? It's kind of fun to watch. Like my son, I mean, I kid you not, every single morning since Halloween, he wakes up and he asks us, Dad, how many more days until Christmas? In fact, I've caught him a couple times. He'll actually take my cell phone and he'll ask Siri, Siri, how many more days until Christmas, right? It's like the new advent calendar or something. I don't know. But kids, they're, they're so good at expectancy and, and, and anticipation, which makes them kind of bad at, at waiting. It makes it really fun for all of us to watch, right? In fact, we had some fun with this this past week. We put something together. I want you to watch. Check it out. Do you know what that is? Christmas tree peep. Do you like peeps? I love peeps. Do you like marshmallows? Yeah. You like candy? Yeah. All right. Well, you're going to love that. Guess what? You can have it. Okay? You can have it right now. But if you wait, if you wait until I get back, I'll give you two. Okay? Or you can eat it now. It's up to you. I'll be right back, okay? But feel free to spend some time with your peep. Okay? Be right back, Eli. is a Christmas pea. You want to eat it? Guess what? Oh! I got a deal for you. Is it good? Mm -hmm. I bet it is. All right. If you don't eat the rest of that... Wait, wait, wait. 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 <laughs> well, that's yours. You can eat it. But wait. Wait a minute. You can have it now if you want. You can eat it right now if you want. Or, But I gotta be, I'll be... I'm gonna leave for a second. 
And when I come back, if you still didn't eat it, I'll give you two, okay? Okay. Or you can eat it now, it's up to you. Good job. You ready to come with me? After you Are you gonna need them both here? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. What? I got some food. What? The cameras. <laughs> I have no clue. That was great. Your kids, kids, this time of the year, those stars of the show. Because they get that expectancy piece. They get that anticipation piece, which is really what this time of the year is all about. Right? For followers of Jesus, this time of the year isn't just about celebrating a holiday, but it's about entering into an entire season, the season of Advent. This word Advent, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means the arrival or the coming. And so for hundreds of years, Christians have been using the weeks leading up to Christmas not only to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but to also anticipate the return of Jesus. See, at the heart of our faith is this belief, as crazy as it may sound sometimes, but it's this belief that God has actually started something right here in the middle of our world, in and through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But not only that, one day Jesus himself is gonna return. Jesus is going to come back to finish what was started. So again, for the season of Advent, it's when Christians, followers of Jesus, enter into an intentional time of longing and anticipation and expectancy. It's why we're calling this series, this Advent series, It's Not Yet Christmas, because that's true in a couple different ways. Of course, it's not yet Christmas according to our calendar, but at the same time, it's not yet Christmas yet because we're still waiting for the return, the Advent, the arrival of Jesus to once again come back and to set things right. I don't know if you're anything like me, I need some time to remember that, to reorient myself around that hope because it's real easy to lose touch with it, isn't it? For that belief to become sort of peripheral to our lives. That's why we need a season like this, to kind of recalibrate ourselves. And traditionally, there's been four themes that, that Christians have been centering their time around in order to help them do that. The themes are hope, joy, peace, and love. And each of these themes, they, they serve as a sort of signpost to point us in the right direction as we anticipate that which is yet to come. And this morning, we're gonna be talking about hope. Y'all say hope. Well done, hope. Before we get too far into it, we need to have a little conversation though about, about what hope actually is. Because I feel like it's one of those words that can stand to be rediscovered. 
right? In, in our day, we hear that word all the time. It's thrown around all over the place. It's used in different contexts. And so it can be easy to like lose touch with, with what it actually means. Like when you and I hear the word hope, we tend to think of like wishful thinking, don't we? It's like there's this thing that we wanna see happen in the future, but let's be honest, we're not really sure it's gonna happen. And so we hope for it, right? Like, I hope I win the lottery, right? Or I, I hope my wife doesn't get mad at me for shrinking her favorite shirt. Right? Or I hope that somehow Carolina pulls off the upset. Ouch. I gotta be honest, that one hurt last night. Some of y'all in here all glowing with your victory. Get out of here. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, kind of. But for us, hope, a lot of times, is sort of a synonym for pipe dream. It really is. I mean, we say we're hoping for it, then that usually means that we don't think it's actually gonna happen. Are y'all with me? This is not what the scriptures are talking about when it uses the word hope. In fact, look, look at 1 Peter again with me. 1 Peter is a letter that is all about hope, especially chapter one. And verse 13 serves as a sort of summary statement for what the author has been saying up to this point. In verse 13, the author says this, therefore, with minds that are alert, y'all say alert. alert. And if your neighbor's sleeping, throat punch them and say alert, right? Just kidding, don't do that. And fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. A couple of thoughts here. First of all, hope is not just about the future, but hope actually involves the present, right? The author says to us, therefore, with minds that are, that are alert. Some of your translations might say, prepare your minds for action. If you were to translate this literally, it says, I love this. It says, gird the loins of your mind. I don't know what that means, right? What is that all about? Well, it's tapping into this imagery. It's in the ancient and mid Middle East, men would wear these shirts that would go over all of their garments an outer shirt that would go all the way down to their ankles. I mean, much like, hello, my robe, right? All the way down to their ankles, which made it difficult for them to do anything that would, that would require like agility, for them to move quickly, like if they wanted to run, right? You wouldn't compete an American Ninja Warrior wearing this, right? And so when they had to act quickly, when they needed to do something like run, they would take the front of it and they would tuck it into their belt, hence they would gird themselves for action. So the author is saying, in light of our hope, in light of what we know will happen, prepare your minds right now for action. Begin to live according to your future hope. Right, so in a way, here's a good working definition for hope. It's not just about the future, but it is a certainty about the future that influences our present. It's a certainty about the future that influences how we live in the present. So it's not just sitting back but we begin to orient our life in the present around what we know will happen in the future. Second thought about hope from 1 Peter chapter one. And this is the part I want us to really park in this morning. As we begin to work on this message throughout the week, this is the place that I felt like God kept pulling me back to. But according to the author of 1 Peter, what is our hope in specifically? What is our hope in? Who is it in? You can say it out loud, it's okay. It's not the library. Jesus, thank you, thank you. It's like the Sunday school answer, right? Come on, it's Jesus. You know, our hope as followers of Christ is not in some warm, fuzzy optimism about the future. Right? But our hope is more, it's more, it's more specific than that. It's more concrete in that. Our hope is in Jesus Christ himself and specifically a promise that he's made to one day return and to set things right. That's what our hope is in. That's to be the source, the anchor 
of our hope. This is so important for us to get. We're going to unpack it a bit more later. But, but in all honesty, here's another way to say it. Hope does not take its cues from our past failures. You got some of those? Hope doesn't take its cues from our present frustrations. It doesn't take its cues from our own fears and anxieties about the future. And if you're a human being, you've got some of those too. See, hope is all about learning to see those things in the light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has promised. That one day he's gonna do something about it. One day he's gonna set things right. Here's my question for you. How central is that to your life? When it comes to, to how you see the world, to what you believe is possible, how central is that to your life? The fact that no matter how you may feel about it, no matter how much the big news media pundits say about where all this is headed and what's gonna happen with our country and our world, what do you actually believe? Where do you take your cues from? From all of that? Or from the fact that Jesus Christ has promised to return? I mean, that's one of the things I love about Christmas is that it, it really challenges one of the biggest gods of our day. You know what it is? Cynicism. And people are so cynical nowadays. Same time, there's a whole lot of people out there making a whole lot of money off of fear. We keep people afraid, they're gonna tune in and we're gonna make lots of money off of it. And Advent, Christmas challenges all of that with the good news. Not only has God come one time, guess what? He's coming back. He hasn't quit on this world. It's still a beautiful place. Yeah, it's a mess, but it's worth fixing. Are y'all out there right now? I mean, come on, make some noise. It should be good news. I mean, Advent challenges one of the, one of the gods of our day, cynicism. I get so tired of it. Cynicism, hope. Is that God has made a promise. God's gonna be faithful to that promise. Jesus Christ will come back. And when he does, he's gonna set things right. That's something to anticipate. That's something to expect. That's something to long for, to be excited about. Even more so than Clemson waxing Carolina last night. What I want us to do the rest of our time is I want us to zero in on this guy named Simeon. Some of y'all are familiar with Simeon. He's a popular uh, character from the Christmas story. And he shows up a bit later in Luke chapter two. So if you want to turn there, go ahead. But Simeon is this guy that I found myself coming back to for the past several years at the beginning of Advent. I'm so fascinated by him and his story. And every year I, I go to Simeon, I find something new, learn something new about what it means to be a person of Advent. So Simeon shows up in Luke chapter two where it's just after Jesus has been born and his parents take him to Jerusalem to the temple where they're gonna have him dedicated. And there at the temple, they meet this guy, Simeon. Luke chapter two, starting in verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was the custom of the, that the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So we get the sense that Simeon is pretty old when all this is taking place. In fact, there's a tradition that dates back to about the second century. It says Simeon was 112, 112 years old when this was taking place. Right? We're told that he's been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he's not gonna die until he is able to lay his eyes when he actually sees the long-awaited Messiah, the, the anointed one, the deliverer, the one whom God 
had promised. And so the Spirit leads Simeon into the temple at just the right time when Jesus is there with his parents. And as soon as Simeon sees Jesus, he knows who he is. He knows this is the one I've been waiting for. This is the one the whole world has been waiting for. And he takes his baby in his arms and he prays this beautiful prayer. But think about how this must have felt for Simeon. 112 years old. How long had he been waiting? When did God make that promise? You have to wonder, did he ever doubt it? Year after year, did you you ever think he was wondering, was that that really happened? Did God really say that to me? Same time, if if Simeon's 112 years old, that means he was alive to witness some very important but very painful moments in his people's history. If he's 112, that means he was alive when the Romans came in and conquered the place. He saw that happen. He'd have been old enough to witness the very bloody civil war that took place right after that. And he would have witnessed countless revolutions that the Romans would have squashed. And you have to wonder how many of his own family members, friends, people that he loved, did he see get crucified by the Romans? Yet year after year, he held out hope. He believed that God had not forgotten about them, that God was still gonna act, that the rescuer would still come. This is what he was waiting for. And Luke tells us that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The first thing we can learn from Simeon about hope is that hope is birthed out of this deep longing and desire for God's healing, God's comfort, God's peace in our lives. Luke tells us in chapter two that Simeon had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's that all about? Well, that word can also mean comfort. So he was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. This is actually a reference to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. The second half of this book, chapters 40 through 66, is actually known as the book of comfort or the book of consolation. See, during Simeon's day, Israel had been conquered by one superpower after the other. I mean, empire after empire had ruled over Israel for hundreds of years. I mean, first you had the Assyrians, you had the Persians, Right, you had the Babylonians in there, you had the Greeks, and most recently, it's the Romans. But then you had these folks called the prophets, people like Isaiah. And they spoke to the people and they said, you know what, it's not always gonna be like this. One day, God's gonna act on our behalf. One day, God's gonna do something about the suffering, about the oppression of our people. And God's gonna do this through somebody who came to be known as the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Rescue. So this is what Simeon's been waiting for. I love that word waiting that Luke uses. In the Greek, it's this word prosdekomai. And waiting is kind of a tame way to translate it because it literally means to give excess to oneself. It's the sort of waiting you do deep down here. It's the kind of waiting you do with a knot in your stomach and a lump in your throat. It's more of an ache. Y'all know that kind of waiting? It's the sort of waiting you do with a, with a bit of pain involved. A couple months ago, my wife and I were at a friend's house for a get-together, some other couples. Kids were all at childcare, babysitters. It was great. We were all hanging out. And the guy at the house, he was showing us a project he was working on in his backyard. It was called a grill shack. It's as awesome as it sounds, right? (laughs) And he was showing us all the material he was using. And right in front of us, there was this giant beam. It was 12 feet long. It was eight by eight. So it was a big piece of wood, right? Laying right in front of us. One of the guys looks at me and says, think you can pick that up? This question has been uh, thrown my way 
on numerous occasions growing up, and it's always got me in trouble. And of course, I'm like, sure, why not? Next thing you know, a couple of the guys have decided to spot me, and I was somehow caught up in this really weird attempt to try and prove that I still got it, right? I swear my wife has like a sixth sense. She can like smell my stupid. <laughs> Any other husbands out there? As soon as this commotion started, she comes out, out of the house, Nick, what are you doing? Too late, too late. In one moment, I simultaneously was able to prove that I still got it, but then quickly discovered that I still don't got it. I did pick up the beam, but immediately I threw my back out, like instantly. I didn't have a chance to like relish in what I had just done. As soon as I picked it up, oh no, I'm in so much trouble. It's the first thing I thought. She's gonna be so mad at me. My back hurt. It was awful. It was bad. I couldn't sleep at all that night. Couldn't even lay down. My back was so bound up. Right? In fact, I spent the entire night leaning over our kitchen counter because that was the only place I could go where it would, you know, kind of not hurt. Well, eventually I had to get a hold of some muscle relaxers. And, you know, I can, I'll tell you what, I can understand how people get addicted to that. And parents, just hear me on this. Be careful where you leave that stuff. And so many kids get into it because it just sits in our counters. Don't do that. Don't leave it there. Get rid of it. I mean, seriously, be responsible with that sort of thing. I can understand how people get addicted to that, but I'll be honest with you, I couldn't stand the way it made me feel. I mean, it's like you're in this fog, right? You can't shake it. It's like you're awake, but you don't really feel like you're awake. You know what I'm talking about? So sure, this, this muscle relaxer did something about the, the pain, but you know what? I didn't feel anything else either. Most certainly didn't feel alive. Here's the honest truth. That's a picture of how some of us, how some of us live our lives in an attempt to avoid pain, we self-medicate. We look to all of these things that just sort of drowned it out to numb ourselves, to smother it, because we don't want to feel that. See, you and I, at the core of our, a core of our being, we have a wound there. There's a need in us for God's healing, God's presence in our lives. I mean, you got, y'all got any dysfunction? You better say yes, if not, you're lying, and then there's your dysfunction, right? You got bad habits. You got things that you, you struggle with, right? The big obvious ones and the small ones. You know, you know what the core of that is? You need God's healing and presence in your life. Not just once, but every single day. There's places where we have not allowed God's grace to go deep enough. For God to bring that healing, that wholeness, that presence. But you know what? You and I, we don't like to feel that pain. And so instead, we just cover it up. We self-medicate. We buy way more stuff than we actually need. Now, how many of us will go into debt this year? to buy stuff at Christmas that we don't actually need? Or we, or we look to substances, to food, whatever it is, to try and smother that out. How many of us, when we're feeling lonely, rejected, or bored, what do we do? We go to the refrigerator, don't we? We don't want to feel that pain, that emptiness, that lack of where God has not fully healed us, made us whole yet. You know what Advent's about? Advent's about embracing that pain. It's about feeling that emptiness. It's about recognizing, you know what you and I need more than anything? We need God. We need God's presence in our lives. The ancient prayer of Advent is quite simply this. It's a simple prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Have you all pray that with me? You ready? Come, Lord Jesus, come. It comes from some of the final words of the book of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I ask you a simple question. Do you want that? Don't shake your head yes too fast. Because if I searched my soul this past week, you know what I've come to find out? I want other things more. There's other trivial things that I want more than I want that. And that's a problem. So Advent is a time in which we let ourselves feel that emptiness, that void there. I mean, we just sing the song, 
O come, O come, Emmanuel. You know who sings that song first and foremost? People in exile. People who are not at home. People who don't have peace. That can be hard for folks who live in this part of the world. It can be hard for us to sing that song and mean it because we're just so comfortable. But Advent is when we allow ourselves to feel that, to get in touch with it. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, the only ones who can celebrate Advent are the people who carry restlessness around with them, whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come. Can't hope for something you don't care about. So my, my challenge to you this Advent season is don't get so caught up in all the craziness and carve out some time. Wake up early every morning. Meet with God. Get in touch with this place, this, this part of you. Feel that pain. Because if you're gonna grow, if you're gonna become healthy, guess where it starts? It starts right there. Coming face to face with your need for God's comfort, God's peace. So hope begins with a deep longing, but it also springs from a particular, a certain, specific source. We already touched on this a bit, but remember, 1 Peter tells us that, that our, our hope is to be fixed, not on some warm, general, fuzzy optimism about the future, but it's supposed to be fixed on Jesus, right? And the grace that's to be, to be revealed at his coming. Again, hope for us isn't just some sort of general optimism that things in our world are gonna eventually work themselves out. I mean, if that's where your hope is at, I got news for you, it's gonna quickly turn into despair, because our lives and the world around us aren't gonna fix themselves on their own. We need Jesus. Did y'all hear me? We need Jesus. I mean, honestly, if, if, if you wanna experience healing and wholeness, there's one source where you're gonna find that hope, and it's in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is found. The author of Hebrews says it like this, calls him the anchor of our soul. Jesus is where our hope is springs from. I mean, it's fascinating to me that so many people in the Gospels had a hard time recognizing Jesus, didn't they? In fact, most people missed them altogether. But not Simeon. Somehow Simeon was able to see in this baby the, deepest, the fulfillment of all of his deepest longings. He recognized Jesus when so many people missed them altogether. Why? Well, what was it about Simeon? Because Simeon at the time wasn't the only one waiting for a Messiah. Man, you look, and you look throughout history, scholars will tell you that at the time of Jesus' birth, Messiah fever was at an all-time high. The people had this sort of sense that the Messiah was coming. The Messiah was going to be here. That's why you find all of these so-called Messiahs popping up throughout history around the birth of Jesus. The people were waiting for a Messiah. So why did they miss Jesus when he came? It's because he wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. He certainly wasn't the Messiah they wanted you know what kind of Messiah they wanted? A nationalistic Messiah, a political Messiah, a violent Messiah. Somebody who was gonna come in and finally deal with their oppressors. He was gonna crush the Romans, kick them all out, take care of their problems, put them on top. That's the sort of Messiah they wanted, but did Jesus do that? Jesus didn't crush their enemies. He was crucified by their enemies. Jesus didn't support all of their religious institutions. He rejected them. He sided with the outsiders. What sort of Messiah is this? And so when Jesus came along, not only did they miss him, but they rejected him. But not Simeon. Simeon somehow was able to see in Jesus, this baby, what he'd been waiting for. See, the folks who missed Jesus, their hope 
was in very specific and very personal expectations around what God had to do for them, what the Messiah should look like. They had already decided in their mind how God should act, how God should behave, what God should do, what the Messiah should look like. He should look like this. It was very specific, very personal, so much so that when Jesus didn't fit the bill, they missed him. But see, Simeon's hope was rooted in the God who made the promise in the first place. It's rooted in God himself. And so when Jesus came along, Simeon didn't miss the miracle. Let me just ask you a very simple question this morning as we begin our Advent series. This is what I felt like God was wanting me to share with you all this morning. What's your hope in? Is it in some sort of expectation you have of God regarding your circumstance right now? or the world around you, or is it in God himself? It's one of the things that became so evident to me during this election. There's a whole lot of people who place their hope in the right candidate being elected. And when that didn't happen, the only thing they had left was despair. And we saw how that turned out. At the same time, I hope those of us whose candidate did get elected have the humility to admit and recognize that even if the other person had got elected, people would have acted the same way. This was a volatile election. It was volatile. But one of the things that's become so painfully clear to me, it's painful, it really is. It shows me how much we need Jesus to rescue the church right now. Because there are a whole lot of people who profess faith in Jesus, but if we're honest, we get down to it, their hope is actually in a political system that's bound to let them down. Because that political system is based on broken human beings. Now hear me when I say this, it's not that I'm calling us not to be involved in politics, we should be involved in politics, certainly. But what we have to understand is that the hope of the world is not the United States of America. The hope of the world is in Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? It's in Jesus Christ. I mean, if you want things to change, which I hope you do, I do too, then maybe we should start taking our cues from Jesus, particularly in how we live and how we treat one another. I wonder what happened if we actually did that. We Psalm 146, verse three, says it like this. Do not put your trust in princes, or princesses. Don't put your trust in human beings for whom there is no salvation. Our hope is in Jesus. So again, this Advent season, let me ask you again, what is your hope in? Is it in some sort of expectation, specific expectation you have of Jesus, or is it in Jesus himself? Because here's what I've noticed about the holidays. The holidays are the best time of the year, aren't they? They're wonderful. But at the same time, they can be very terrible too. What the holidays do is they exaggerate both the good and the bad, don't they? A lot of times, man, it's the dysfunction in our families. I think we could all really connect around that, couldn't we? Y'all got some crazy people in your family? Amen, right? But the dysfunction, the brokenness in our families, whether it's maybe there's a void there from somebody you're missing, right? That pain or there's some sort of just dysfunctional, frustrating relationship, all of that is so much more obvious this time of year, isn't it? And it bothers us a little bit more too, doesn't it? It's like this time of the year, here, here's what you and I come to, come to realize in very clear ways, is that there's problems we can't fix. There's people we can't control. There's expectations that we can't meet. In fact, I want right now, just take a moment. I want the Holy Spirit to bring that to the front of your mind. Right now, the problems you can't fix in your life, maybe it's you, the people you can't control, 
that family member that keeps wounding you, keeps hurting you, keeps doing that same old thing. Those expectations you'll never meet. Maybe they're your expectations because Christmas isn't like it used to be. What's your hope in? Because here's what, here's what some of us are gonna do. We're gonna do the same thing we do every single year. We're gonna rush off and try to fix a problem that's 10, 20, 30, 40 years old that nobody's been able to fix. You're gonna still rush off blindly and try to fix it. At the same time, you're gonna create a whole bunch of new problems for you right where you're at. Who knows what I'm talking about? You're gonna try to fix somebody. Try to heal a relationship. Whatever it is, and you're gonna try again and again and again. And you're, at the same time, you're gonna have to leave the people who are with you right now. You're gonna cater to something behind you and damage what's right in front of you. Man, I know a thing or two about that. What's your hope in? Because when our hope is in Jesus, when that becomes the anchor of our soul, you know what we're able to do with some of that stuff? Let it go. I'm not saying that we should act irresponsibly. You and I, we should do our part, do everything that we can do. We should pray. But what I've come to realize is even when I do that, you know what? There's still a gap, isn't there? Because it's not guaranteed to work. So in those moments, what we have to make sure is that our hope is not in some sort of expectation of Jesus, that he's gonna fix it a certain way. But it's in Jesus. Because we know that no matter how it turns out, God's gonna bring some good from it. There's gonna be resolution. There's a difference between putting our hope in something and being hopeful for something. I'll say that again. There's a big difference between being hopeful for something and then actually placing your hope in something. I mean, take the guy who's, or the person whose marriage is barely, barely hanging on by a thread right now. We got a lot of people like that in our community. Some marriages are struggling right now. I mean, it's one thing for that person to be hopeful that the marriage will be reconciled, that it'll be restored. That's a great thing. Do that. Be hopeful for it. It's another thing, though, to put your hope in the marriage being restored. Because I got news for you. It might not happen. It may not happen. Because there's more than one person involved in that, isn't there? That isn't just up to God in that one person. There's a spouse involved, too. They may bail. They may walk out. And then what? Again, your only option is despair. It's despair. And this is not an excuse or permission you're getting from your pastor to quit on your marriage. In fact, it's the complete opposite because when our hope is actually in Jesus, then you know what? You and I, we become the kind of healthy people who can have a healthy marriage, who don't put too much weight on another relationship, who don't smother the other people. At the same time, when our hope is in Jesus, you and I develop the resolve that we need to navigate through the difficult things that are ahead of us to become healthy in that place. There's a difference between putting our hope in something and being hopeful for something. So what is it this Christmas? What have you put your hope in? Maybe there's a relationship that's broken. Maybe you got a wayward child. Man, parents, sometimes it's so, I can imagine the temptation to put your hope in seeing that kid come back. I think when we do that, it's oftentimes what we actually end up doing is driving them away because we become so desperate on it working out the way that we want it to them seeing it the way we want them to see it, right? That if we're not careful, we're gonna actually choke it out. We're gonna drive them away. Now, I think we, we need to be responsible there. We need to do everything that we can in that, in that relationship. We need to be prayerful in that. But in a sense, there comes a point where you know what we have to do? We gotta let it go. We gotta trust God to do what we can't do. Maybe you've been holding out for, for a certain job or just a job. There's this thing that you feel like God has got to do. If God's going to come through, it's going to look like this. It's going to be this. I got news for you. It might not happen that way. The Messiah came that nobody expected, and most people missed it. 
But this Advent, as we begin, as we move towards Christmas, what is your hope in? Is it in Jesus or is it something that you think you have to have from Jesus? Because what we can be sure of is quite simply this. There is resolution coming. It's coming, right? But it may not come when we want it to, how we want it to, or where we want it to. But rest assured, it's coming. We can be hopeful. We can move forward in that. So as we finish this service, I want to offer you an Advent prayer. It's something I actually shared with you last year, but I, I found it last year and it just really grabbed a hold of me. But I want to encourage you to make this prayer your prayer. You're going to have a chance in the midst of it to pray with me the Advent prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Why don't you say it with me one more time? You ready? Come, Lord Jesus, come. And don't let these words just bounce off of you. Let them wash over you. Grab a hold of them. Make this your prayer as we begin our journey towards Christmas. Hear these words. Thou Son of the Most High, Prince of Peace, be born again into our world. Wherever there is war in this world, wherever there is pain, wherever there is loneliness, wherever there is no hope, come, thou long-expected one, with healing in thy wings. Pray with me. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Holy Child, whom the shepherds and the kings and the dumb beasts adored, be born again. Wherever there is boredom, Wherever there is fear of failure, wherever there is temptation too strong to resist, wherever there is bitterness of heart, come, thou blessed one, with healing in thy wings. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Savior. Did you hear that? Savior. Be born in each of us who raises their face to thy face, not knowing fully who they are or who thou art, knowing only that thy love is beyond his knowing, and that no other has the power to make us whole. Come, Lord Jesus, to each of us who longs for thee, even though they have forgotten thy name. Come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, come.